the question that I would ask is, if I am to start a business today, if I'm a photographer, an artist, a consultant, a content creator, an engineer, whatever it is, if I am to start a business today, mm. what would that look like? And when I say today, I mean today in the realities of uh, we we're just starting the, the process of, of of lockdown. So there's a lockdown. There's little. There's no no human. So all of this is virtual. There's no human contact. Uh, people are, are self. You know, uh, they're self staying home. They're forcing. They're working from home, and they're they're not going out. So that's the reality of, of if I am to start the business today, in this environment, what would that business look like? What would I sell? Who would I sell it to? How would I sell it to them? Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast made for and by change makers, where we gain the courage to own our story, the freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. I'm your host, Lucas Scrobot, and today we're joined by Iman Atani. Iman is originally from Lebanon. He used to lecture in universities in Canada and Lebanon, and now he has a small business where he helps and trains other businesses how to grow and scale. He works with a lot of startups, a lot of SMEs, and a lot of big business as well. And I've been following Iman for quite some time now. And uh, one of the first one of the first posts I think that really caught my memory was him talking about pouring into his children. And I remember this post about him bringing his children to an art museum and kind of him talking with his kids afterwards at a at the dinner table about some of the things that they learned. And I just was really fascinated with how he was pouring into his children. And it really in a unique way, I felt. And so as everything has begun to happen um, right now in the beginning of 2020 with the coronavirus, and I've been thinking about how can we prepare ourselves for an unknown future and how can we prepare our children for what lies ahead, um, I felt like this was an appropriate time to reach out to Iman and ask if he would sit down and have a conversation here for you and I on the podcast. So without further ado, the episode with Iman. So what what number of episode is this? This is episode 131. So it's well, good. Well, for me, it's a sign. Anything above 100, you're good. Good. You're committed. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's the pod fading starts at like nine. Most people don't make it past <laughs> 14. And so uh, well into the well into the hundreds now. It's actually 133, but there's a couple bonus episodes that didn't actually get a real number on it. So 131 is the official number. What's your habit? Is it uh, like once a week I'd record and then eventually publish those? What's what's your 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 uh, frame of mind to, to to consistently do this over one thirty episodes? Yeah, my my habit normally is once a week, and then over the summer, I um, last year I began doing five episodes a week, doing more solo, trying to get some more of my thoughts and ideas out there, um, and that was actually going quite well, except it was kind of overwhelming and flooding everything else in my life. So uh, at the end of October, I scaled that back and went back to once a week doing more interviews. Um, And right now I'm in the process of trying to decide how to kind of ramp up volume of episodes again um, and just trying to work out the exact direction that I want to 
go on that and take that and how to best facilitate that. Okay. Uh, and, and you have, you're in your home setup. Is that it? Uh, cause, yeah. Cause I, I can see your, uh, uh, soundproof, soundproofing, and the strategic light placement. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a whole, I have a whole home setup. I can, um, let me. I'll get a. I'll send you a picture afterwards. But because okay. before I was doing, I was going, going to places and interviewing people in their, in their office or in their home wherever we were ended meeting. Um, but that ended up kind of being very cumbersome, moving lights and cameras. And then I had it all set up in my ho- home to do interviews and did a number of interviews in my home um, and then full three camera setup. And then it was even starting to do live cutting of those interviews. Um, and now I'm really only using one of my three cameras due to COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have like a red recording sign for the kids not to not to not to work in a new or how how did you address that? No, I I should I just tell they're they're really obedient kids, so I just tell them ahead of time, hey, I'm doing a podcast. Don't knock, don't come in. Normally they're pretty good about it. And my wife, how is, old are they? They are seven, five, two, and seven months. All boys. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it's uh, they understand that they have a call, but they still, if they have a question in their head, they just they just pop up and ask. And then I move to the other room, and then they have another question. They pop up in the other room, and so on. So yeah, it's uh, I've, I've I've had those cases as any parent would. How old are uh, your kids now? For a uh, I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. Wow, a boy and a girl. Congratulations, so, yeah. congratulations! They're right at that age where where you can really begin to mold them and teach them entrepreneurship. Do you talk to them about content creation versus generation? Because those are, uh, because you're a content creator, and that's why I ask you, because those are topics that I point out to them, saying that, look, you're spending so much time on YouTube and you're consuming. And there's only the there's only the 1% that generate, generates the content. So there's a rule of one, you know, one, nine, and 99. So the 1% who create the content, you have the 90, 90% that actually interact and engage those who comment, like, and share, and so on. And the rest are consumers and viewers. So I, I raised awareness to that with them and how I'd like them to start to think of what would that mean creating their own one person being one percent and so on and i've created videos with them and with their cousins and so on so it's a it's a process but i'm sure that now they're okay but then when they're older and they have judgments from their friends and things like yeah. this it's more difficult but that's the types of discussions that i have with them i think i think that's a really important discussion to have our, our oldest is kind of getting at that point we don't let them roam free on youtube um they're mostly relegated to netflix or movies, and it's just for, you know, maybe an hour or so in the afternoon, and they're just now getting into games. Um, But I think our oldest, he has begun to want to do episodes, want to do content creation, and sometimes we'll do, like, plays or acts for people um, when we have guests or something over, and we've had to teach him, like, okay, well, you need to think about your audience you need to plan and prepare ahead of time. You can't just like goof off for like 10 minutes and expect people to like be interested. So he's kind of like gotten that concept and some of those fundamentals, but we haven't actually stepped into um, a process of 
content creation, but we are, I am very hands-on, my wife too, very hands-on with teaching them how to create wealth, how to create finances, not just, hey, can I do a chore and get some money? And so I think we're trying to instill entrepreneurship into them at a young age, um, kind of through those, some of those rich dad, poor dad ideas. But I'm interested, what what sort of things do you do with your kids? Because you're you're so intentional with teaching and, and raising them up in a way that's mindful about the future. Well, um, one thing when it comes to finances that you brought up, um, the reason I bring that up with them uh, at such a young age is it took me a while to understand it. And that's me as a business owner struggling to understand finances and to understand what that means and what you pay for and what you get and how does it cost to make how much it costs to make something what you sell it for so i struggled with those uh, uh building and growing my business and then when i talk with other entrepreneurs as well uh, that i advise uh, uh, throughout the world and they all they all have such aspects and it's difficult for me to, to to influence that or understand that so i'm trying to get to that understanding earlier with them at least about what does it mean? What does it mean if something's expensive or not? Mm. So in the beginning, they did not understand what 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 money is. So I I, I tried to use it relatively. So we, we paid you know ten dirhams for this, fifty dirhams for that, eighteen dirhams for this, and you know, and then uh, now they reach a stage where they ask me, um, and uh, uh, how much is this? How much do you pay for that? And so on. And then oh, they say, oh, it's not too much, or it's not too little. So it's so they. I'm trying to have those discussions with them a little bit more after 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 we have this. My wife hates it because she's like, "What are you teaching me? Why are you asking me about what I'm paying for what?" And um, and also, I I try to get them to focus on. Let's say you bought something that you liked that you wanted to eat. We paid fifty dirhams for it. Do you think it costs fifty dirhams? It actually costs twenty. Is right. it wrong? Besides, for fifty, are they stealing us? Yeah. And then we go to that discussion about. Uh, you can go ahead and do it yourself. You need to buy those specific elements. You need to go ahead and do this. You need to spend the time to do this, and then it will cost you the twenty. That thing. But or you want to? Are you willing to pay fifty to get that convenience and that instant assistance? It's difficult. To, I mean, as uh, as your kids get older, get older, you'll start to you start to do it. But when they were seven, I started to have the money discussions with them. I even tried something, but it, it, it took me a while to do this. Where um, uh, in their piggy bank, when they, when they put in money from their, yeah. from their, you know, from their mothers and grandmothers and presents and things like this, you know, I've asked them to start to write down what that input comes in and so on. So things, things like this that that, that I that I that I struggle with in terms of checks and balances and oh, man. debit credits and things like this. So those are things. Those are things I, I tend to look at. It's not a core focus of mine, but I want them to understand that. What you buy doesn't cost as much to make. You can be there's value there to be created. In some cases, it's good value for you to pay. In some cases, you, you might be ripped off, and you have to decide: Am I okay being ripped off for the convenience? Or uh, I know it should cost. They should sell for fifty, but selling for two hundred. But I want it now. Is it worth it for me or not? So those are the discussions I have. I tried to have with them at least. Yeah, we we've done something similar. We, for a while, I started giving them allowance and then teaching them to be like, okay, well, we're generous people, so we're gonna, we're gonna give some money away. We're going to have some money as seed that we're actually planting and investing that's meant for growing. And then we have some money for spending. So we did 10% uh, giving, 40% as seed money, and 50% as, you know, you can buy and spend whatever you want. And so from that 
that 40%, I had them save that, which in thinking of how can I plant these dirhams in the ground to turn into fruit and to multiply. And so then we, we went to, the, we, they decided, okay, we're going to make juice. And so we went to the store. We bought, I had them take cash and buy watermelon and buy everything that you needed to make fresh watermelon, strawberry juice. And then they had to actually go and produce it and weigh it and put it in bottles and then go to their friends and sell it for 10 dirhams a piece. And then we got the money back and then we looked at, okay, how much was our expenses? How much is our profit? But I think I probably started a little too early for them. They understood it, but it's just like a lot of, a lot of heavy lifting to kind of get some of those concepts through, um, especially on a, a regular basis. But I think maybe when they're older, they might be ready for that. But Lucas, this is exactly the right thing to do with them when they're a little bit older as well. But that's that's the core aspect of this because I keep track of successful people globally. And I look at, I, I listen to podcasts like yours to look at small nuggets, especially when they talk about struggles and problems they had when they were younger and things like this. So a common factor that I see is when they were young, they used to sell, it's usually the American version of this. They used to sell baseball cards. They used to sell lemonade stands and yeah. things like this, yeah. and so on, which has the same concepts of, you buy ingredients, you make them, you sell them, and you, you calculate and so on. Something I've been itching to do for a while, but I haven't been giving it priority in time is with my daughter, only because she's older, is I want her to understand, because she likes to do like bracelets and things like this. I wanted to set up an Instagram page for her to do this. I want her to understand that, uh, and, and we're planning to sell dirt cheap, like, like 10, 15 dirhams. Just, I just want her to, to get questions from people. So for her to understand, wait, there's an inquiry I have to answer. I want her to understand that, if they're delaying it, yeah. if there's a delay from a career that, that she has nothing to do with and how does she deal with it, um, you know, how does she collect it and how are we selling it for 15 dirhams, although it might cost her more. So that type of aspect that I've, I've been itching to do, I think that might be like a summer project, but it's going to take time from me. It's going to take a bit more, you know, dedication from her as well. You, you know how kids are, they have a bunch of yeah. things to do with, yeah. them, with their moms and activities and things like this. And, you know, patience <laughs> on both sides to get that done. So that's, uh, that, that's one of the projects that, that I'm hoping to, 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 to get taken care of. I think that's great. I think, I think that is so needed for our kids because, yeah, I, you know, when I was growing up, I, our, my work opportunities were really small, making like, you can make like 75 cents an hour um, just because of my dad was a pilot. So he moved around living in obscure places. And uh, I started my own pita bread company when I was, I don't know, maybe in seventh or eighth grade. And so I had to learn those things. But I think, and and by doing that, I had to learn email marketing from a young age because, you know, you had the internet and that's how people in your town are going to find out. And this is back in the early 90s or mid, sorry, not early, but late 90s. And so that I think really instilled something in me of, when I was at that young age of entrepreneurial thinking. Um, but when I look at where the market is going today, especially now with Corona um, and how, you know, the, the long lasting cultural shifts and impact that that is going to have on society as a whole, um, I think it's really important that we prepare our kids for a world where they are thinking of themselves as small business owners where they are thinking about their product, their presentation, um, 
communication with customers, how to how to deliver that merchandise, and where's their where's their value that they're adding to their audience in the midst of then how do you storytell in an interesting way to connect and motivate your audience and drive them to a, a conversion, right? Um, my objective in this is not to help groom them to become entrepreneurs because entrepreneur, there's a lot of struggle in entrepreneurship. It's not what you hear on, you know, what you hear on stages or what you right. see in press releases. About. We opened up a company. It was great. We hired the first guy. He or she were great. Uh, the first investor we spoke with, we raised. It was, you know, those usually nice stories that people share. There's the real stories of the struggles of building it because I struggled building my business. Um, I advise and I built a team around me to do this. We advise entrepreneurs how to grow their business. So we see the struggles, they're real, and nobody speaks about them. And that's not necessarily what I'm trying to wish upon them, but what I want to wish upon them is an understanding of how the world works, how business works. Even I tell them, even if you want to become an artist, you need to understand, right. you know, I always tell them, find something you love and then find a way to make money out of it because you're going to have to find a way to make money out of it. And, or uh, even teaching basic sales, right? It's just teaching basic sales that's going to allow them to go into any field and any job in the future. Even even sales, sales is, a, is, a, is a strong topic that, that you bring up. Even myself, like my first understanding of sales has always been the tradition of sales of somebody who wants to swindle me to, to take away my money and not give value. And, uh, you know, the typical cliche of what a salesperson is, and it took me a while to understand and to read books and understand that we're all in sales. I'm in sales. I try to get my kids to do their homework on time, to eat, to brush their teeth, right. you know, with my wife, with the staff I work with, with the teams, with the customers. So we're all in sales in one form or another. And it took me a while to understand that and said, no, wait, I'm not, you know, we're all in sales. And then I'm working to bring value. If that value is there, that's great. If it's not, you know, both parties move on and, and we're good. So it took me a long time to understand that. So those are things that I try to, to share with them as much as you can share with, you know, kids who are less than ten years old. Yeah, and I've I like the fact that you you've pointed out that entrepreneurship, you know, is quite difficult. It's quite challenging. It's not what everyone on the big speaking tours make it out to be. And in fact, I I I normally stray away from using that word entrepreneur. I don't put it on my bio. I don't put it in my, you know, in my vernacular. But I like to think of myself as you know, a small business owner, or really my function is more of a, of a freelancer that kind of bootstraps um, projects together, um, impresario, um, someone who organizes, um, rather than an, you know, traditional entrepreneur who's trying to build and scale and grow, find funding, and then hopefully sell it for, you know, 100,000 times, whatever they put into it. But I, I think, you know, what I am probably trying to instill in my kids is the the thought or the ethos of what it means to be a small business owner. And even if they don't become a small business owner, whether they become a teacher, whether they become an artist, whether they become, I don't know, a, a dancer for all I care, still having the understanding of the fundamentals of business, I think is really important because it's it's not being taught in the education system. I don't necessarily think it's the responsibility of the education system to do that either. Um, but the education system, in, in my viewpoint, was set up for the Industrial Revolution and to teach and train people to sit in um, factories for eight to 10 hours a day 
And uh, all that is going to be replaced by automation. Truck driving, by and large, is going to be replaced by automation. Um, And that is the future that I see that we're heading towards. And so I'd like to hear even more from you is how do you see kind of this, I mean, we've already been in a digital revolution, but I don't think that it's actually reached the scale that it will reach. How do you see that future shaping up for your children? And what are some of the skills that you are looking to instill in them, similar to what we've been talking about already, but to be able to be successful in the year 2040, right? We don't really know what 2040 is going to look like. So what are some of the fundamentals that you're you're teaching so that they can be successful then? A lot of things I look at um, are from what I see, whether I've had them myself or the other other business owners that, that, that I talk with. Uh, and one area I focus on is, is their struggle. And mm. the struggle is real. You don't, you don't read about it. You don't see that on YouTube. You don't see that on stage. Uh, and and Because uh, I have a lot of those discussions, whether for media engagements or people who reach out to me or business owners who are looking for uh, questions or People I randomly meet over dinner and they turn out to be a business owner. I have good discussions with them. Those are the people, you know, those people I like to spend time with and have my discussions with. And the struggle is the same for everybody, but they, nobody shares that because it's not the cool thing to do. Even you calling a small business owner, it's not cool enough. It has to be entrepreneur because <laughs> yeah. we're small business owners. It's, it's, I mean, we've always have been. It's always had traders and all. Uh, that's what it has always been. Yeah. It doesn't have to be labeled the cool part. And the struggle there is... What I focus on is that there is a struggle. You have to find how to do it yourself, how to read about it, or it depends on how you learn. Or do you read about it or you, you reach out to others or you try it? My methods are simple. I read and I work hard. Those are, those are things that I, when I work hard, I compensate for things I don't know mm. uh, and, my, and my shortcomings. So uh, those are things that don't come either way. The second part I focus on uh, is ambition. So one of the discussions I'm having with the kids because I travel a lot and I'm not with them a lot. So they're, uh, they're, they were saying something about, you know, we understand, it's a, a, we understand that you're not here. It's because, you know, you're traveling to make money. And so I was like, well, no, hold on. Before it comes to money, it's something I want to be. You know, I'm ambitious and I can't stay put and fulfill my ambition. So there's an itch for me to scratch. I know what I Now I'm fortunate enough to know what I want. And I'm going to, I, have, I feel I have potential. I want to fulfill it. I need to do whatever it means. It means away from you. Yes, money is a, is a core component, but that's not, I'm not traveling to be, get to, to staying away from you to get paid better. So the, the priority is for me to do this. And that's what I wish upon them and anybody else is to find what they like and to figure out how to make money out of it. Which brings me to the third point as well is it's difficult to know what they would or would not do um, there's a documentary on, on, on Atari, the game we all used to play when, when, when yeah. we were younger. And uh, when I was going through it, there was somebody speaking and they had, the, they had their job title. It was gaming anthropologist. So the anthropologist is the person who goes back and studies humans and how they interacted in caves and they look at uh, the scribbles and the drawings and things like this and they make assumptions and so on. So that person is a, a gaming anthropologist. And I was thinking, he was like, would I tell my dad I want to be a gaming anthropologist? Would he tell his dad? It's like, oh, my son's going to go, go to yeah, gaming anthropologist. Right. Is, that, <laughs> is that something <laughs> I, can, I can understand or they can understand and appreciate? And just, you know, uh, what, is that, what does that even mean and how? And just uh, would I support my kids if they say they want to be gaming anthropologists? 
So <laughs> those are the type of, of, of acceptances. That's where I look at, find something you like, even if I don't understand it, and find a way to make money out of it because the two have to go together. Otherwise, you're a starving artist or a starving type of business in the industry that there's little for you to figure out and how to go and what to do. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, no one would have thought that that we would have gaming anthropologists, right? That just wasn't that wasn't even a thing. And so the everything is changing so fast. You know, a thousand years ago, we all knew what we were going to be. It's my dad was a blacksmith. My grandfather was a blacksmith. My great 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 grandfather was a blacksmith, and I'm going to be a blacksmith. And that's I'm going to. Yeah, that's that's what we do. And we make horseshoes. That's all we make. That's what we're great at. And you know what? There's always going to be horses. We're always going to make horseshoes. That's we got our thing. But today it's not it's not like that. And um, I think that's I think that can bring a, a lot of with that freedom, you know, comes a great deal of anxiety. And um, but I, I like the things that you pointed out, which was which was struggle I think a lot of times we like to gloss over struggle, especially um, in today's social media world. Where we're all PRing our entire lives. Um, uh, even even now, when the whole world is in in chaos, um, it it's most of the stuff on my feed is still kind of like this positive side of well, look at the silver lining in all of this. When um, I have a feeling that. It, at least for a lot of people in the world right now, there's there's not much of a silver lining. Um, and so I think that's an important thing to remember, to realize, and to teach kids from a young age how to persevere and press through and endure through their struggles and their hardships, whether it's in school or whether it's in sports or relationships, because we need that fortitude to, to survive in the real world, whether we are, you know, the greatest entrepreneur, a small business owner, or an artist that's, you know, trying to sell their whatever, their art. Um, and then the other thing, ambition, because you're right, it's hunger dra- drives a man to work, right? And it's because we're hungry for something that it, it gets you up in the morning and to go out and to pursue what it is that you're pursuing. If it was just money, you could easily get enough dollars and then watch Netflix and binge on YouTube the rest of the day and just do the minimal amount of work. So how, how are you instilling ambition into your kids and then, you know, kind of scaling aging up into uh, a young adult, maybe someone that's coming right out of university, what can they do to grow kind of that level of grit in their struggle and ambition in their struggle? I think the older they are, the easier it is. So I'm looking forward to when they're a little bit uh, older for me to do more with them. And that's why I'm reaching out to some schools uh, that I know and I've done work with in the past. I'm helping them build such aspects out of because because simply I can't do it with my kids today. I'm just trying to find an outlet. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just that. And... Um, uh, what what would help is something that I also draw from my own experience. When I was in college, I I had the good fortune fortune of working, and so I had part time jobs. So I used to do a couple hours of class in the morning. Then we had you know we had gaps, uh, and then we had more classes in the afternoon or evening. So during those gaps, I used to go I used to go to work, 
And I had different types of jobs because uh, my background was computer engineering. They were either with a telecom provider or internet provider. That's what we did, you know, uh, back then. And I took many jobs. And from those jobs, I understood what I liked, what I don't like, what I'm super excited about. So when I, when I was working with the internet provider, I knew, I knew this was, because I did work with a telecom provider before. I liked it, but I felt there was, there was something missing. Yeah. When I worked with an internet provider, I felt the internet and it will unlock so many things that I could not, I did not feel that excitement when I was with the mobile operator because the mobile operator at the time, uh, I was working with them on, I was a young kid, I was interning with them to implement internet. But at the time, their priority was always voice. So whenever it was a busy time uh, with many people, they dropped the internet to give priority for voice. Right. I'd, I'd sit idle saying, you know, I can't do much. When I worked with the internet provider, it was the opposite, opening up everything there. So that gave me excitement about many different things. I lost, uh, I missed things like uh, the guys were very good at Counter-Strike. My, my colleagues were good at Counter-Strike, playing cards <laughs> uh, with their friends, with, you know, <laughs> finding partners and things like this. Sometimes I look back and say, it would have been nicer to do a little bit more. Yeah. But I was very excited to leave my class and go to the internet provider, to go to that job and things like this. And I've done many odd jobs, mostly computer related. And I didn't like, uh, so So there are things that I used to, to learn, like replacing and fixing computers and things like this. And I remember having a discussion with my dad. I told him, look, you know, I have this new job. You know, I have to go help some of this, this. It's a paying job, but I don't feel excited about it and so on. He said, and look, from the small things you learn. So don't say no to small things. So mm. that's, you know, that, that was very clear for me. And I did many small things. So by the time I graduated, my friends in class, they did not know what, what they wanted to do for me. Was, I've done enough in four years that I know what's next for me because I've done so many small things. I've seen so many horrible bosses or good ones. And so I know what to work for, who to look work for, what to do and so on. So that is something I definitely, definitely would like to do with my kids. I'm trying to do that with my, with my sister's kids who are a little bit older. I want them to try very small things here and there for them to understand what they don't like. I want them to find what they don't like. That's really important. I think that's really important to find what they don't like. And it, like you said, it just takes trying a lot of small things to kind of figure out where kind of that passion and interest sparks where you, you get hooked. I liked how, you, as you told that story, I just kept imagining how it's almost like the, the telephone system was good and it had some like some sort of interest and that kind of led you a little further down to the internet, which really hooked your mind as it opened up this enormous world of possibilities. And, that, you know, it's not just the internet that does that for people. It could be, you know, if you're an artist or if you're in sports, it's you, you find something and then you kind of follow that trail and uncover what's kind of already placed inside of you, inside of your your makeup, your your passion, your skill set, um, your interests, and then you kind of further hone and refine. And you know, likewise for me, that's what I've been doing. It's when I was in high school, I never thought like I'm going to start a podcast. You know, I'm going to essentially do radio. <laughs> I'm going to do radio on the internet. That's what I'm going to do. But you know, I. I became interested in literature and stories and reading and and writing and communicating and that's then led to this but I've kept on kept on progressing and I don't know if that's the right word innovating myself 
and looking how can I even on my trajectory continue to grow. So what what do you do in order to continue to further hone in on where you're going, the direction of your business, the direction of you as an individual? What are some of your practices so, to to keep on trying new things or, or is it halas, you're done? Let's look at the business and let's look at the personal part. So from the business part, what I do is I work with business owners to help them grow their business by building their teams, building their business process, acquiring customers, having them with customer retention. So it's a lot of problem fixing. And um, in that type of business, it has to do with executing well. And it took me a while to figure out that to execute well, we have to do so many small things based on follow-up and checklists and the, the boring, non, uh, you know, they're, they're not fancy things. But the better we are at those, and that's why, you know, these businesses reach out to us. They're bigger than us. They're more funded than us. But they reach out to us because we're able to do so at least better than them. Than. Mm-hmm. And that detail and structure of it, uh, those are areas that I feel that when there's a weak point, whether in my business internally, we still have weak points that we're always trying to fix, or with others, it means lack of structure that works. And that's, so I say, okay, fine, it's clear that this is not working. It's not because Eamon is running this or Lucas is running it. It's because there's a process behind him or her that we're expecting Lucas to come in and solve it magically. Right. And that will never work because there are things that need to be done with or without Lucas somehow. Or if Lucas is great naturally at doing this, but then we lose Lucas to something else, then we start from scratch. So that aspect from business perspective, so, that, so from an area of improvement, that's always one of my first go-tos from areas of improvement. That's one. On a personal level, um, for me, there are things that... I read on the internet and I see videos that say, lean into your strong points and don't focus on your weaknesses and things like this. So for me, finance and accounting in my business is a weakness. I have an MBA and still I feel it's a weakness for me for me to run the business. Mm-hmm. And I've tried in-house resources. I've tried outsourced resources. I've tried hybrids and things like this. And I've done so many mistakes along this. And, and, and then it took me a while to understand that I have to learn what I want from this before I ask somebody else to do this. Mm. So when it came to, to the financial part, I hired an excellent firm that specialized in what they do. I did the mistake of saying, I thought this was done. I left them for eight to 10 months paying and doing all of that. And then in 10 months, I said, you know what? I should probably take a closer look at what they're doing. And then I looked at it. They're doing everything right, finance and accounting wise, but it has nothing to do with me as a business owner to what do I need to build this, to fix this, to what look at my revenue streams and profitability and things to, to decide on and so on. And then I had to I had to sit down and learn what it is I wanted to, wanted to learn myself, and that's unfortunately nothing comes other than long hours, long hours, and trying and not not working. Those are the two things that I compensate for weaknesses. Now I know what I want and how I want it. I'm not an expert, but I know enough of that of what I need. And I, when I work with people on something uh, on this, I work in a in a framework that, that of of what I want or need, but I have to learn it first. Right. So it's it's not that you're because, yeah, I've heard that saying too. you know, lean into your strengths and forget about your weaknesses. But what you're saying is you can't hire out your weaknesses unless you know a system and a process and what that weak point needs, how that's supposed to function in order to serve the system that that 
is in. And if you don't know what you want out of that before you go and hire someone, it, it's not going to matter. It's just going to be money down the drain and you're going to end up with the job done, but it's not going to actually fit into um, to spec or to uh, with, you know, Six Sigma into the business and the process and the need of that aspect, whether it's communication, whether it's social media, whether it's your finances. And I experience this too. When clients come to me, they're like, we need social media. We need a website. I'm like, well, okay, why? Well, oh, oh, yeah. Well, why why do we need that? I'm like, well, who are you trying to talk to? They're like, yeah, well, what do you want them to, what do you want that target audience? What's your goal? And they just look at me. They're like, huh, I, I haven't, I didn't think about this yet. And, you know, so as, as a consultant come in and those, I'm asking those questions too. I'm not just like, yeah, we can build you a website because otherwise the client will come back to me and say, this isn't what we needed. Well, just like you came back to your, your finance clients said like, you know, this isn't what I needed. It's not fitting my goals, but that's not necessarily their fault. They were doing the job as they thought. Um, so I think that is really excellent advice. So you have, which what I'm hearing you say is you have to know at least the architecture of what you're trying to hire out for and the system, what you're hiring, hiring out for so that you can see whether it's fitting and growing your business, or if it's just another cog in the wheel. Uh, this is, that, that was an excellent rewarding of it. And, uh, and for you to know what that architecture is, it comes from hard work and mistakes. So hard work meaning reading, trying, asking, and so on. And then mistakes of trying something that doesn't work, then you, then you try something else, and so on. So you say, okay, this is my framework, but I can't do it all alone. Hence, I need to hire internally or externally to, to continue to do this within the architectural framework. And that framework is not set in stone. If somebody comes in with better ideas, we'll tweak them for, but the core is yours and, 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 and you're driving it. And uh, so that, that, that comes from that. And the skill set personally that I learned is because I've had cases in the past um, with many of my colleagues, they, uh, that was before uh, I started my business, we were all employed and um, they, they left to do better jobs, better paying jobs. So mm -hmm. they're better paying jobs, less hours, and in the eyes of others, they were doing better. And I can see it when, when they speak with me, how sorry they felt that I'm in, in, a, in a different job where I have to work, I work longer hours and I get paid less and they get to be more relaxed and, and so on. And then I had this with many of, of people I know in the past four, three years, they have to move on to another job for a reason or another. And then they can't because they're stuck where they had a comfortable job for three years, but they didn't learn much. So they're out of the market. So they're somehow out of, out of the market, out of the skill set needed mm. for that market in only three years. And they're trying to find a job. And then, like, you know, I want to help them find a job, but just, you know, there are so many things missing that it's difficult. So that's why they're struggling to find a new job because unfortunately, when you when you relax for three years, there are no skills, there are less skill sets that you have. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that for me was definitely a, a clear indicator for me on, on on what I need to continue to work on on a personal level. Right, especially when everything's changing every six to eighteen months in this in technology in this fast moving market. You know, if you're kind of leaning back and just coasting for three years, it it's not three years like it was back in nineteen fifty or nineteen sixty. That three years is like fifteen years, right? And so I guess one of my questions kind of going off of going off of 
building kind of the, that team around you is what what are some of your some of your tools or advice that you give startups, um, small businesses, uh, freelancers, or artists who are looking to begin to staff those weak points and build a team around them so that they can be more than just a freelancer, more than just kind of a solo shop. How do you teach some of those fundamental team building um, things to to your clients and or to your kids? One thing I look at a lot in the hiring process, whether it's for myself or when we're hiring for others, I feel a common mistake is people look for skill set as the first and primary thing. It's important, but that's not the primary thing that I look for. I look initially for willingness to learn. Mm. Willingness to learn and being and being open to, to, to working working hard. The third is the skill set, because the skill set can be learned. Because I've had many cases where somebody is very, very skilled, but they want to they want to do the least work possible. They're not open to working with others, they're not open to changing how they want to do work. And though they're very talented, within six months or a year, you can't continue uh, working with them. And I've seen many others who don't fit. They don't fit, so they're in a job. As in, they're not from the right schools. They don't have the right background, right experience, um, and on paper they don't they don't make sense. But then you see the results that they do and how fast they learn and how they change things. And now they have their own teams. So they sort of remember they have their own teams that report to them and so on. And then you see that that doesn't come from the skill set. That comes from right. Am I willing to learn? How hard am I gonna able to do this? Uh, 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 in order, in order to, to to learn this aspect, and uh, you know how well I, I can work with others. And the part about about the working hard, and that's often entrepreneurial aspect. I remember once there was a, a discussion I had with somebody, and he was saying, "Even look, you know, it's your business, and you've chosen to work this hard." I said, "You know, you don't know me enough, but this has always been me by default when I when I was employed." It was always long hours, weekends, and so on, because that was that's the mood I work in. That's that's what I learn. That's what I do. I have a lot of fun. I do many things, but that's my default. Uh, so it's not like I switched that on when I opened up my own business. So that mindset of let me serve my time from nine to five, right? Five to five, I'm I'm walking out yep. because I need to serve my time. That's when you know there's something definitely, definitely, definitely broken. Well, that goes back. It goes back to exactly the story that you told earlier of you had colleagues who they went on to a cushy job, they coasted for three years, and then they went back into the market and they didn't have the skill set to find another job. But that's because something fundamentally was missing, which was the hunger, the ambition and the drive to learn the, the drive to add value to the system that they're in and continue to improve and add value to their own life. And you're saying that when you hire for skill set in time that person if they're not hungry if they don't have kind of that ambition in them will end up coasting and not fitting your project whereas if you have some that's continually learning and hungry to learn that they're going to succeed in the long run that that is what, what i'm hearing you say is that is the skill that is going to be traded on for the next 20, 30, 40 years. It's that hunger and drive to learn. 
and absolutely and when you add on that something that you really like to do then then you're off yeah then, then you're set uh to give you an example i had a project once it was one week so they wanted me to do five days it was five days it was super well paid it was it was we're looking at twenty five thousand dollars for me to do five days of work and i was sold on concept and i traveled to that country and it was totally something else all right so i was sold on the concept of working with the top executives yeah help them understand how to digital transform a company over intensive five-day periods and i was told there were meetings to be set with different departments and things like this and i got excited because that was a very big company super one-off that means it's not a money thing for them they cannot transform it's about are we deciding to do this and i assumed wrongly that involving me with those top brass that means the top brass are looking for external ideas from me and from others yeah and then they have the unlimited resources they can go ahead and execute on that so that was what i was excited about what i ended up doing there for five days was just chasing them from place to place i felt like you know how it is where you, you <laughs> oh know where you're trying to send somebody when you see them in mall markets where somebody's chasing you to, to give you a fly or some or a perfume to try or something like this and people ignore them and so that's what i felt and, and all, all i could say was i was like i'm just be patient you've committed and there's a lot of money, you know, it's, it's $25,000 five days, commit, commit, commit. And then, and then I was thinking, would I be paid, would I accept a job, they offer me a job to do this for the next three years? Very well paid, would I do this or not? And I was like, it, it, it would be very good money, but no, 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 I can't, I, I couldn't do five days. I, so I could definitely not commit to doing three years, even if it's greatly paid, because there was something completely off there. I felt so not in my element, so not in my productivity, so not in my potential, I was like, just you know, I, I could not, I could not, I could not do this. So many people take those jobs because they're well paid, but then they're miserable and they don't learn much. And fast forward three years, you're unhappy. People around you are definitely unhappy. They pick on that, and you know you have more money, but just you know, where's your skill set and where's your happiness? So, so what happened at the end of this? Did you bounce out of this this project early, or was it if if, commit, if you finished commit, it I, I don't change when i commit i don't change so so even if it's something that that i'm not comfortable with when i commit i don't change i complained i'm trying to get you know i said i don't want to cheat people at least you know set up meetings like you promised you would uh so but no when i, I when i commit i commit but it was always only five days like five days five days but money five days but money just just go through this but then you know that was did uh w- was there a chance that they wanted to sign you on to like to actually execute that project for the next three years and is that why you were thinking would i want to do this for three years no because i thought you know because i had time there to think about i was in a situation where i was thinking about why am i so unhappy i feel well i'm doing this for five days so so you know it's a job i'm committing to it's a good paid job i can do this well they don't want to do this i could have said you know it's their problem not mine right but i felt unhappy I could do more uh, for you. Know, for, you know, what I, mean. I felt so. I was like, "Why are you? Why, why is this bothering you so much?" And then I start to think of, "What if I'm in a job? What if I'm offered this? What do I do this?" So, so that happiness part uh, was it, that trip is it was clarity for me in saying, "I know that when I'm happy, when I'm not happy, and not everything I do is, is, is it makes me happy, but a lot of it does. And those that do not, I try to limit them to a certain." damage period of time and then move on to something else. Yeah, I think, and that goes back to something else that you've also been saying, um, which is it's the system and it's the processes that are underlying an organization that affect someone's ability to perform or not perform that affects the longevity of it. 
that affects people's joy levels and, and enjoyment of even working with that person or that company. And so did you did you advise and say, hey, here here's another potential contract where we could fix all your some of your internal health problems? Or did you just walk away and say good riddance? Um, I did not pursue things further because it was clear to me that it was something that they that they just there was a, a box that they wanted to tick that said, "Oh, we we uh, got a specialist and we we talked about this transformation, this digital changing part, and you know that's done." So I, I sense there was no interest or commitment to actually do anything about it. And in those environments, there's little I can change. So that's why I did not feel that that, that, that there's something there. And on the happiness part, what a lot of people misunderstand is what they see on YouTube being that, you know, beaches and family, just, you know. Oh, man, it's horrible. Whatever that is. So silly. Yeah, because because for me, you know, I, I'm very, yeah, I work hard. I, I do, I, I work 20, you know, when I'm talking, I do 12 hours a day and six days a week. That's my default. Yeah. And. Uh, and it's not because I'm overwhelmed, but that's that's what that's that's me. That's how I'm structured. That's what I look for. And uh, those that time I spend there, I want to be happy doing what I'm doing to a certain extent. And when I'm not doing that, I have my other interests, which is reading about digital and social and how people interact with that. I read about entrepreneurship. I read about those those items. That's me. And I sense this. Just to give you a story about that, Lucas. I sense this. I remember once very clearly, I still remember this example because I've always been into digital and how it affects businesses and people. That has always been my default. I remember I was in college and my girlfriend at the time was complaining that she doesn't see me a lot because I'm working. Because, you know, it's in college, I have classes and I'm, and I'm, right. I'm working part-time in these different jobs. Right. And then I was on campus, on, on the stairs, in the sun, reading a book. The book's title was called Being Digital. And I, I remember, you know, I was reading the book and she came and she's like, you're reading she was so upset that I was even reading on my personal time about something digital. That upset her so much. And then I remember my reaction was like, why do you think this is this is off? And and that gave me clarity that this is me. This is what interests me. And that's what I pursue with or without without anything else. So though those are the aspects where I see happiness. When I say happiness, I'm not saying don't don't do work and don't just you know spend time. 100% on your hobbies and, and whatever it is they see on YouTube where people are on a, on a beach somewhere to make money while you sleep, all of that uh, nonsense. It's, garbage. it's just about, you know, finding something that you like and finding a way to, finding a way to make money out of it. So, so my, my question then, I think the next logical question that comes to my mind is going back to, to this idea of processes. It's going back to these ideas of systems and um, right now, right now, everything around us is collapsing because of COVID-19, right? Just what yesterday, Emirates declared that they're shutting down most of their flights. Um, we're at, at March 23rd, if you're listening to this far into the future. Um, and and I, what I was thinking about last night was that we, we live in a highly, highly complex system called the global economy. And we don't realize how fine-tuned it is and how, you know, the supply, the, the supply chain is just magnificent by the fact that we have fresh eggs and bread and, you know, raw chicken in the refrigerator in the store every day. That is a sign and a wonder. It is a modern miracle that we take for granted. 
And oftentimes we then complain about how we need to fix the system without realizing that actually the system is a highly fine-tuned machine that's very delicate. And we've seen how it is so delicate that, you know, this once in a, a centurion, once in a hundred years event has stopped everything effectively. Um, and, you know, we're going to recover. I do believe that we're going to come out of this. But my question leading to this is, my question is, how can we as small business owners, how can we as artists, how can we as maybe we're school teachers or in sales, how can we begin to build robust systems in our life that are simple, but that also can safeguard us from the future and you know, create an environment where we're we're better able and better prepared to sustain whatever is is coming over the next two, three, ten years. Um, what can we do in this in this period when everything's stopping to rebuild some of our personal systems for long term success? I would say one of the first things to look at as a small business owner now, in in uh, when you're looking at how the economies globally are stopping with regards to coronavirus is your cash flow. That's that's the aspect now that is very critical because any business relies on others to pay them, whether they're customers, uh, yeah. B2C, B2B, others to pay them. And then you have your own burn of your own, you know, your own staff, your own rent, your own uh, online services that you pay for, you know, things that before that you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't pay attention to. So the most important part now is cash flow because you're unlikely going to be paid by night by your customers because everybody's going to hold on to their cash. They're going to say, let me, let me worry about this a little bit later and so on. And yep. assuming they're still in business. So the first thing I would look at saying, you know, what can I stop now that uh, will, not affect, will affect me in the short term but not in the long term? So for example, discussions I've had with some of our customers that I know that they will struggle to pay us because it's, you know, the industry is affected. And I don't expect them to pay us. So I had an honest discussion with them saying, look, I know you're strongly affected by this and, you know, and it will affect you probably unlike, uh, unlike paying us. So I said, let's have a discussion. I'm open. Let's stop what we're doing for you guys over the next month, two, three, six, until this is resolved. Yeah. There are yeah. things in the rear, but let's stop. So for me, I'm stopping. I stop the bleed somehow. Um, if in six months they go out of business, that means whatever they still owe me is gone. If they're still in business, eventually we'll get paid. But what I'd look at is over the next few months, whether the, whether it's the people from my staff or the freelancers we work with or third-party systems we pay for that do this, we stop the bleed because today as a business, you can't fund other people that will not pay you. And that's any business, any business now. Everybody's holding on to, let's wait and see, let's wait and see. So the cash flow part is definitely, definitely the most important part. And then the second thing I'd look at is because you're trying to look at what the next step would be in the future-wise. And when I say future, I say it's three months. Yeah. Would be what are services that you can provide that assume a no-touch aspect, so that are virtual. It's not easy, but it. I would assume. So, uh, so I'm looking at doing this internally in our company and with other customers that we're advising. Is we're assuming this is a default. I know it will be. It will all be fixed. But I'm, what I'm looking at saying there's a tier of services that will be fully done online. Uh, that it's paid for online, so it's kept online, it's it's provided online. It has a it, it, it's still one on one to one, like our podcast now. It's being done one to one, video wise, and so on. So nothing changed. It's just the the touch point yeah. of it has changed. 
but did not affect that I dedicated time, you dedicated time, we have, you've prepared well, uh, we had this topic and uh, we're discussing and, and we're bouncing off of each other. So that doesn't change, but the mode of communication, the touch point will change. It's not, I prefer to be there in person and both of us would read, uh, read off of each other further, but it's 70, 80% there and that's, that's, uh, that's, that's more than, so done is better, so one is better than zero, done is better than perfect. So, so introducing services that assume this is our world over the next 18 months. Yeah. Or, uh, and what do they look like? They, will, they might not be the same revenue that you had, but still you have to assume that you need some form of revenue to continue to, to change as a business. The same way the virus is in us and it will mutate and our bodies will adjust for it. Yeah. Our businesses will adjust and mutate somehow to uh, the new reality of this. Yeah. So minding your cash flow now, that's the first immediate step that I would look at. Even go through your, uh, I would look at your online payments for online systems that you use that you might no longer use, have honest discussions with customers about things like this and so on. And the second part is trying to find services that are no touch because that's, that's definitely one of the realities that we have now and that will continue after we, we evolve out of this crisis. Yeah, I mean, you look, and that's what Emirates did effectively by grounding most all of their flights. Was that they're, they're realizing, well, every time we fly, we're losing money, we're bleeding money. So it's better for us to ground nearly all of our planes, ground nearly all of our staff, reduce payments, and be able to retain these people for for the next however long this takes, rather than having to try to push forward keep empty flights going where they're losing money which with each flight they fly and then they have to let a bunch of people go and they suffer further in the long run, which is, so I think, you know, what Emirates is doing and what most major airlines have done um, by shutting things down, it, it makes sense because they're stopping, they're doing exactly what you've recommended, which is, which is stopping the bleed. And then, you know, just like out of the Great Depression, came sayings like a penny saved is a penny earned. And you had people who were saving every single tin can and plastic bag and hoarding everything because you never knew when you might need it. Um, I think there's going to be systemic cultural shifts and changes that were already happening because of the digital age that we live in. Um, but like this virtual no touch services that still have kind of that feeling of having high touch, still have that feeling of, okay, I have this emotional bond, this emotional connection with this company or with this individual, even though there's not a physical presence or a physical exchange of um, a handshake or a hug or a product or a service. Um, and so I, I, I think there is, whether this lasts for three months, um, hopefully not 18 months, um, but that's what some people are saying, um, that we will see uh, a further shift towards digital systems, products, and services as we move forward into the next 100 years. Um, but my, my question then is, because I know you, you teach this, you're, you're great with this, you've, you've taught and in, in lectured in universities on, on corporate communication, on um, content generation on content consumption distribution how are you recommending and what are some of the the principles that you're teaching to small business owners um startups 
to build that rapport, to build that emotional connection and bond with their audience, with their clientele, with their investors, what are some of the the core components that you teach um, for someone to do and even begin to implement now so that when they come out of this, they can really be successful in? I think one core, one core component is uh, openness, being open about where we are now and where we're heading. Because um, the example I gave about having discussions with other with 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 people who who pay us for our services i i know some of them are good but i i, I might be you know i might be hurting our long-term revenue by stopping services now but i want to be open and, and have a have a proper discussion with them about where we are can you pay us can we pay can we service you because i have cases as well where you know people working from home and, and things like this, so it's different can we service them so that openness saying look we plan to do this we can we can't do this that openness i feel is definitely, definitely a driver for proper, healthy, long-term growth. Although in the short term, it hurts you, but long-term, when I say long-term, is when we come out of this in, in six months or so. Um, openness is definitely, definitely one aspect. I think the second part is, it's going to take a while though, is accepting that things are different. Yeah. Um, so for me, if I want to take it on, because I've been... I've continued with our growth plans, uh, even through the, these troubles and so on. But uh, recently, um, one of our customers who I felt were untouched were severely impacted. Really? And that got me thinking um, that, wait a minute, you should probably re-examine where you are. I thought I did. And I re-examined it again. And I said, okay, let's, let's look at this one more time and then uh, look realistically at it. So, and then this is, this is not me being honest externally, it's being honest internally saying, I'm gonna look, look really at the business. Do we need hiring this person now? Does that make sense? Uh, stopping this, does, can you do this? Can you do that? And, you know, uh, so that acceptance of, of, of that, I'm different, the business is different, what we're doing is different, that acceptance of it beyond the, Oh, the world has changed. Oh, we haven't seen this and so on. So no, no, the real acceptance of saying, look, it's different. Yeah. It's, it's done. That acceptance takes a while and a couple of incidents here and there. Uh, uh, but uh, that acceptance, I feel, helps, will be important for a small business owner to rebuild because we're all, we all have to rebuild that. Well, let, let we me all have to rebuild, rebuild something else. Let me pause you and ask a clarifying point on, on your story. So you had a client that you thought was unaffected, but then when you actually talked to them, you found out that they were affected, which that caused you to go back and look at yourself and to look at your growth plan and evaluate whether you could progress in the way that you thought. Is that right? The trigger point for me was a detailed email that they shared with their staff. The founder sent a very heartwarming open email to his August staff that I was included in. And when I read that, uh, and I know how, how, how much that, that, that founder worked, I know how, how big their business is. It's across multiple cities and multiple currencies, so they're not easily touched. Yeah. Uh, like a small business owner would, would be generally. And that, for me, was a trigger uh, to that harm, that open and, and heartfelt email was triggered to say, look, 
Wow. Let's take another look at this. Wow. And so, okay, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is quite frightening um, in kind of a splash of cold water when you realize that it's not, I mean, yes, small businesses are going to be greatly affected, but it's also big businesses um, that are multinational across the, the globe um, are really being hit because everyone is stopping spending because they do not know how long this might take. And, you know, small families, you know, they are all doing the same thing that every business owner is doing, which is cash flow. They are stopping every bleed that they can minus their Netflix accounts. Um, <laughs> so, so acceptance, acceptance that, that things are different. Can you continue to like unpack as you in your business, as you've begun to... Everybody thinks, Lucas, everybody thinks this is going to end in a few weeks. And we're going to come out of this, going back to our restaurants, going back to our work, going back to this. Um, I've been keeping a close eye, not on the news, on countries and who's doing what. I've been keeping a close eye on what others who specialize in things I, I don't understand. They try to cure polio. They try to cure other you know, right. pandemics that used, to be, that used to be widely affecting humans that, uh, that now is just, you know, I, I take my kids, they take a small vaccine for us. It's a very simple, boring, routine thing that we do with a doctor. It was a big deal in, you know, in 1918 or in the 50s or whatever it is. Yeah. I look at their, with their feedback and so on. The pattern I look at is it takes anywhere from 12 to 18 months to fix this. Yeah, between at a minimum. At a minimum. Antibiotics, yeah, between the cure, between the vaccines, between the testing. So, so, so. Any form of normalcy is not in a month or two. It's in 18, 18 months. Of course, we're going to have we're going to have ups and downs. So uh, we're going to have better situations in these eighteen months. I'm not saying it's going to be like this for eighteen months, but for us to walk out of this, it's like a it's like I got in a big car accident, and yeah, yeah, around. I need time to recover before I'm able to go and run with with my kids. So in three months, I'll be better. I can eat. I can walk. I can socialize with my friends, but I can't go out running. With, with my kids it's going to take me 18 months to get there so that's that acceptance of i have 18 there are 18 months before i can resurface what do i need to do over those next 18 months to do this if we finish in six and i plan for 18 i'm great yeah but if i plan for a month and i've done 18 i'm gone <laughs> the, i mean the i i am i have the same thinking as as you um i have not necessarily been looking exactly how things are how, how COVID is growing across the earth, but I'm looking and seeing, well, what, what's government's responses? What are corporations' responses? What are, what are the doctors and the scientists are, are saying? And so I think the, the most enc encouraging thing that I've read, which is really going to be a miracle, um, is that the, the virus mutates and actually ends up killing itself off, which is a real possibility. It's, it's happened with SARS um, in the past. Um, but that's like the best case scenario when we have a, an act of God on the earth, you know, saving mankind from utter and saving the economy from other annihilation. But the, the thing that I have consistently heard that is that even if they get a vaccine today, it's going to be 18 months before that's in production. It's going to be 18 months till all the clinical trials are done and there's enough vaccinations for us to be able to emerge. And that is a, a very long time um, we might have a reprieve, as you said, in the summer, we might have a reprieve, 
Um, but we, we're just not sure what is going to happen. And so as as people are sitting down and having that real face-to-face kind of acceptance moment of we are in a different age, we are in a different time, and we need to make changes. Um, I, I mean, the question that I want to ask is a question that I know no one has the answer for um, besides um, stopping your cash flow, stopping your bleed, and figuring out how to create um, innovative, no-touch virtual products and services. But what are some, you know, what are some ways that people who are really scared right now, um, photographers, artists, um, are some of the people that are are coming to my mind that are really wondering what what the future is going to hold for them. Um, what are some of simple questions that they can begin to ask themselves as you began to ask and look at it in your company, in your business of kind of small action steps that they can begin to take to put a plan, an 18-month plan together? The question that I would ask is, if I am to start a business today, if I'm a photographer, an artist, a consultant, a content creator, an engineer, whatever it is, if I am to start a business today, Mm. what would that look like? And when I say today, I mean today in the realities of uh, we we're just starting the, the process of, of of lockdown. So there's a lockdown. There's little. There's no no human. So all of this is virtual. There's no human contact. Uh, people are, are self. You know, uh, they're self staying home. They're forcing. They work from home, and they're they're not going out. So that's the reality of, of if I am to start the business today, in this environment, what would that business look like? What would I sell? Who would I sell it to? How would I sell it to them? And so on. So that would be, that would be it. Instead of saying, let me wait and see. I have some savings. I'll wait and see. And then it will be, it will solve itself. And then we'll go back to normal and so on. Yeah. So that's, that's the part that, that, that's the part that scares me of, I want to wait and see. And it will be solved in a month or in a month or two. Mm-mm. I think, I think that's great. It's, it's literally essentially closing your business and essentially and opening it up again, and opening up again as like saying we shut it down we're gonna start over again what would that look like what, what would that look like of, i used to make uh five hundred thousand dirhams a year now i'm gonna make two hundred thousand dirhams a year that's my first step i have to accept it that you know i've, I've found many ways to make five hundred thousand dirhams a year now i can only find the first few things that can make it only two hundred thousand dirhams a year but that's better than my zero Absolutely. I won't see that. Absolutely. And then, and then once you start that down that path, then you figure out ways to unlock it. The same way when you started where you had one project, it was you, you knew what to do, and then one project brought another, then you had an employee maybe, then another project. And so that's when you figured out, we all started our business, starting, yeah. starting doing something that we're no longer doing now. So that, that is the part where you start today, we're shutting it down. And, and, and booting it back up, what, what would that look like? Yeah, I think... And it's better. You have more experience now. You have uh, some reputation. You have some money. Uh, you, just, you figured out things before that you can learn and start new. That's exactly right. And when we when everyone started new, we started with a set of limitations. We started with this, you know, we have a certain amount of resources, not necessarily just financial. We have human resources. We have relationships. We have um, our skill set. We have our EQ, our IQ, we have where we live, the the people that we know. Um, 
so we have all these, these sets of limitations that launched us into those businesses. Um, but it's so true that if we, if we, if we kill that in our mind, because I think so many, myself included, can get hung up on the way that we used to do things, because this is just two weeks, two, three weeks old, depending on you know, China, it's two months old. But it's, it is so fresh in our minds that we literally have to pretend that our old world is no longer a possibility. And we now have to look as if, you know, we are in a, you know, an incubator with saying, these are the, these, here's the exercise. These are the limitations. What product and service can you launch into the market within the next two to four weeks? How can you launch that into the market? And how the, the question that I've been thinking is, what is the products and services that people are going to need in this time when they're not spending money, when they don't have a lot of extra cash flow? Where are they going to be spending money, especially ways that they're going to be spending money that's going to enable them to get more money? I think is going to be one real area where people are going to win in the season. That's another very good question to, to add to, to, to your list of questions. And so what would people spend money on in, in, in such a scenario? So that's also one of the, because you're looking for questions for the business owner to ask. And, and, and that's the only way. So for example, I've been wanting to build, uh, I've been wanting to, I, I feel there's a need in the market for uh, assisting people who want to sell online using Instagram and WhatsApp and Shopify and, Shopify and so on, how, how to get started right, or if you got started, what to do. So I have a model in my head that, 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 that I've been working on for a while, and it had a big offline component. I've taken this opportunity now to restructure and redesign it, assuming it's online. And I, and I have this, uh, this mindset now that even if you know, things go back to normal and after a certain period, there's a version of this retail model that will always be online. Yeah. Uh, I might have a, a version two of it, like a deeper version of it that's online offline, but there's a default model that's online. It's going to be, you know, video like this. It, it, you're going to get the same value, the same aspects, uh, but it's it's different. There are different touch points. So we're going to still help you set up set up your your online stores, help you accept online pay, payments online, even, even if you don't have a, a bank account. Uh, what to recruit, how to target, how to budget. All of that will be will be done, but it will be done without the physical touch. It will be done with uh, uh, with an online part of it. And even if things are unlocked, it's there's still going to be a, one of the core offerings is. It's still going to be online. That's the type of thinking that that that, that I'm trying to get my mindset into. Yeah, and that and that really is. We all we always knew that it was the way of the future. You know, over the last ten years, we've seen everything shift so suddenly to online digital platforms. Um, but now it's as if the the plug on the real world has been pulled out, and this is all that we're left with. Um, at least for this next season. And I really do think it's going to have a, a, a marking difference, even if this everything comes back online in six months. Um, it, it still is going to have a, a real marking difference on our, our ways that we do society on a whole. Um, Iman, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, where can people find you? Where can people find um, even some of the information on, on the course um, Instagram, uh, A-Y-M-A-N-I-T-A-N-I, um, Twitter as well, and, uh, YouTube, A-Y-M-A-N-I-T-A-N-I, -A -I -A -I. that's my name. So I, I've been sharing a lot of content on, on that in, in that regard. Great. I'll, I'll have all those in the show notes. And so one, one closing 
one closing question. Um, and we're going to kind of circle this all the way back around to where we started talking about kids, um, talking about parenting. If you had kind of one kind of shot over the bow for parents who are have now found themselves with their kids out of school, their kids home, and um, what would be one one kind of shot of advice that you would give them to say, hey, in this season of time, if you want to pour into your kid, this is kind of one direction that you might advise someone to take it. I would do it some, I would do it in a simple way. I, I wouldn't tie it to business or anything like this. I would tie it to what we usually are. We usually are busy parents trying to juggle everything, work and, and our partner and our kids and uh, everything else. Some aspects of that have slowed down in the current situation. So what I would try to do is to spend time with them to understand what they like and then go down that rabbit hole, go down that path. So whatever it is that they're interested in, open up some YouTube videos together. Some articles, read the articles as an adult and, and read to them and understand from them and why and things like this. So and then figure out why they like it and then go down that path because now we have a little bit more time to do so than we should do because what I would do before is I, I find a YouTube video and just send it to them and I hope, and I hope they see it <laughs> and I move on with, with my day to day. What I would do differently now is I'd actually watch it with them and then pause it and because what we do is that's we just go through things with them is they have questions so I pause it. So I was reading today with my kids something and then he said I want to ask you something. I didn't think of saying look I'm on the last page of the chat. Let me finish it. And I was like, the whole point of me reading is to get him to ask me questions. You yeah, know, come I on. Have about that. So, so that uh, 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 that slowness that I think as adults uh, we don't, you know, we rush through things. So that part, when it comes to our kids, if we're able to do that, just to go down that path of some small things that interest them. I'm going through my kids. They they follow some. Eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds on YouTube and eight-year-olds, and I'm watching those videos. I have no interest personally in those, and, and some of them really bore me because obviously I'm a you know right. about forty male, and <laughs> yeah. I'm not target audience. But you know, I go through those like, why is your cat missing? What's that problem? What's the name of that? Why why are they like this? Their brother and sister, and just I go through that discussion with them. I felt it has some form of impact and interest in 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 in, in the relationship with them. Yeah, I think it would be it would be really sad um, and unfortunate if us as parents, you know, took this this time and just stuck in front of a TV and us stuck in front of another TV and didn't take time to pour into these relationships, the most important relationships that we have in our life and bond and learn and discover who our kids are and and help encourage them to grow and have fun. Um, I think we're going to look back on this in, in 30, 40, 50 years with our kids and um, talk about, oh, remember, you know, our kids are going to be like, hey, dad, hey, mom, remember when back in 2020, <laughs> oh, yeah, I survived 2020, grandkids, <laughs> you, you survived 2020, what did you guys do? Oh, we played for two weeks straight, it was awesome, you know, so I think we would be really amiss as as parents to kind of try to push something or or even just like put them off to the side when we could really have a really amazing memory from this season of life. And don't get, don't get me wrong, I had my days where like 
here's the iPad. Let me do for a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, hey, yeah, if we but do yeah, it, if you twenty percent, we're good. Still, still, good time with them. That, that, that that's what I, that's what I when I when I just to, to to squeeze those in. Well, Iman, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today, and it was a pleasure talking and just so so many real tangible, actionable steps and insights that um, so many of us are going to benefit from. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me on uh, on your podcast. And thank you for not uh, giving up on, on creating your content, uh, continue to create your content and reaching out to people to create content uh, during this period because it's easy to, to be discouraged to say, let me wait and see what's going to happen. And nobody's going to judge me if I... Uh, uh, if I don't do anything, but uh, I'm happy to see that you're able to, to to continue to push through. Thank you. And I've I've noticed that you've definitely stepped up your content game in the last couple of weeks. Um, just <laughs> a ton of videos are coming out and they're so good. They're so good. So uh, I'm enjoying the, the extra content from you as well. So thank you for doing that. And that is all for today's episode. Please go and check out Iman's stuff. He is brilliant, super helpful. And I hope that some of these key takeaways at the end of the episode that you will actually apply them to your business. One, how do you stop the bleeding? How do you stop excess finances from going out of your account? How do you then reposition to have a no-touch solution for the next 18 months that you can carry on as an extra line of income into the future? And the third thing think about and to ask yourself is, how can you essentially in your mind close your business and reboot it, restart it with a whole new set of constraints that we live in today? So that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much. And if you found this episode meaningful, please share it with a friend. That's all for today. I'm Lucas Scrobot. You are a change maker. And remember, if you own your story, you will own the future.